0: Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well, as we will once again be in Mark chapter 14 this morning, church. And we will be looking specifically today at verses 32 through 42, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, which takes place in the Gospel of Mark, following Jesus Christ, eating the Passover meal, instituting the Lord's Supper in the midst of that Passover meal. And then, as we saw last week in verse 26, that once Jesus Christ and his disciples had sung a hymn at the Passover meal, or had sung the Hallel Psalms, likely that of Psalms 115 through 118 at the Passover meal, that he, Jesus Christ, and his now 11 remaining disciples— 11 being that Judas Iscariot was likely making his way to the chief priest at this time, since he seemingly knew where Jesus Christ would ultimately be located, that he, Jesus Christ, and his now 11 remaining disciples, that they then leave the crowded city of Jerusalem at about midnight, mind you, travel across the Kindred Valley, and then head to the Mount of Olives. And that while doing so, Jesus Christ, he said to them in verse 27, that you will all fall away. For as it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that Jesus Christ, who was referencing here that of Zechariah 13, 7, that he, the shepherd, would be struck. And that when he is struck, that his disciples then, a.k.a. that of the sheep, that they then would be scattered and temporarily fall away and forsake him. And not only that, but as Zechariah thirteen seven also makes clear, that it's God the Father, church, who ultimately ordained and who would also then providentially bring about this striking and suffering and death to the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ since it absolutely was, church, the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. Isaiah 53, 10. However, Jesus Christ, for he doesn't just leave his disciples here with that, but instead goes on to say to them in verse 28, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And that after his suffering and death, and after being temporarily forsaken by his disciples, that he, Jesus Christ, then would not only be raised from the dead, but that he would also then, in essence, regather all his scattered sheep or disciples who had fallen away from him in Galilee as well. However, after hearing all this, Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, for he then replies back to Jesus Christ in verse 29 by saying to him, even though they all fall away, I will not, seemingly displaying a certain level of pride and of ego and of self-confidence here, by in essence saying back to Jesus Christ that you are wrong here, Jesus, mistaken here, Jesus, in air here, Jesus, and that although all the rest of your disciples will all fall away, for I, Peter, will not to which Jesus Christ then responds back to Peter in verse 30 by saying to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Only for Peter then to emphatically say back to Jesus Christ in verse 31 that if I must die with you, I will not deny you, which as we will all see in Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 50 That Peter then literally, just a couple hours later, would indeed fall away from Jesus Christ and would ultimately then deny Jesus Christ, not one time, not two times, but instead that of three times, just as Jesus Christ said he would do. As pride for it surely goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs 16, 18 Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus Christ was faithful to his Father's will, even to the point of death. Jesus Christ was faithful to his Father's will, even to the point of death. And that's at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning, and to also then at this time Open that brand new Bible of yours up to page 851 and join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 14 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 32 through 42, where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, open our eyes this morning to the truths of your word. Let us see them like never before. Let us Grasp this God-man in Jesus Christ like never before. Father, we hear each and every week that Jesus is truly God and truly man. And yet, let us see him in his humanity like never before this morning. Troubled like we are, distressed like we are, sorrowful like we are, And yet, unlike we are, he's perfectly faithful to his Father. We have a Savior in Jesus Christ who was tempted like us, in every way imaginable, and yet who never sinned. Father, let us see his distress this morning in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let us realize that our Savior knows exactly what it means when we are stressed, when we are distressed, when we are in pain and agony and discomfort. And let us look to our distressed Savior, who still, even in his agony, faithfully kept the word and the will of his Father as the perfect example for us. Oh, how it is better for us to be faithful to the will of our Father even in the midst of our suffering and agony than to reject the will of our Father and to walk into sin just to alleviate some temporary suffering. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning. Above all else, I pray that I am faithful to your word, that your Son is glorified, and that you, Father, are pleased with the sacrifice that we as a church body offer this morning. Open the eyes and the ears and soften the hearts of the dear ones here, Father. We pray that your Son is glorified this morning, and that we love him more deeply after this message is preached, that we love him more than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this, point number one, Jesus Christ came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him. Jesus Christ came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him, verses 32 through 36. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So upon arriving at the Mount of Olives, Jesus Christ and his disciples then, verse 32, for they went to a place called Gethsemane, which was likely located on the lower portions of or on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives. And as John chapter 18 points out, was also a garden. And it's here where Jesus Christ says to his disciples in verse 32, sit here while I pray, only to then take with him, as we go on to see in verse 33, Peter and James and John, or that of his inner circle, seemingly further into this garden of Gethsemane, all while leaving behind his other eight disciples at this time to which Jesus Christ then verse 33 began to be greatly distressed and troubled and that he was alarmed here, church, and dismayed here, church, and as the Revised English Bible puts it, that horror and anguish overwhelmed him here, church, to which he, Jesus Christ, then said to Peter and to James and to John in verse 34, that my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Or as other translations put it, that my soul is deeply grieved, deeply afflicted, oppressed with anguish, and crushed with grief to the point of death, which seemingly alludes to here or echoes here the righteous suffer from Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, who continually cried out, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And thus what we have here, church, in our text today, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The son of man, the the God-man, the one who is truly God and truly man, truly experiencing here distress and agony, pain and sorrow. And it's a sorrow here, church, that is so intense, so acute, and so tremendous that he, Jesus Christ, then says in verse 34, that my soul is sorrowful even to the point of death. To which Jesus Christ then says to his disciples, as we go on to see in verse 34, to remain here and keep watch. And going a little further, or as Luke 22, 41 puts it, withdrawing from them about a stone's throw, he, Jesus Christ then, verse 35, fell on the ground And he did so, church, maybe because he was just so burdened at this time with grief and sorrow and anguish and distress, or maybe because he just wanted to display at this time a posture of reverence toward God. Either way, once he, Jesus Christ, fell on the ground, he prayed, and he prayed to his Heavenly Father, as we see in verse 35, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. The hour here, church, being the ordained time set forth by God himself for the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. Only for Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verse 36, to pray, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Abba being an Aramaic word for Father here, which communicated Jesus' deep sense of love and intimacy and trust toward his heavenly Father, and the cup, as we see throughout the Old Testament in places like Psalm 11... Psalm 75 and Isaiah 51, for that, in essence, is symbolizing here the wrath of our holy God against sin, or in particular, the wrath that Jesus Christ would endure on the cross at Calvary, where he, Jesus Christ, would ultimately then take our sins upon himself and become a curse for us and be forsaken for us and endure the wrath of our holy God as the atoning sacrifice, sacrifice for us, in that on the cross at Calvary, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had the righteous and holy and divine wrath of his Father God poured out on him for each and every one of the sins of the elect, and he gave his life up as a ransom for many, and yet for as troubling and as distressing and as alarming and gut-wrenching and agonizing as this cup of suffering that Jesus Christ was called to drink was to Jesus Christ, where he would ultimately experience being forsaken by his Father God, alienated from his Father God, and have the divine wrath of his Father God poured out on him for the sins of many. For he, Jesus Christ, then, still says to his Father God, here in verse 36, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet not what I will, but what you will. William Barclay, for he shared, church, that when Richard Cameron, a 17th century Scottish Presbyterian preacher, whose preaching had a power and an authority that had not been seen in Scotland in many many years that when he was killed his head and his hands were cut off and taken back to edinburgh and that his enemy then took them to his father and asked him if he knew them and taking his son's head and hands richard cameron's father then kissed them and said i know them i know them For they are my sons, my own dear sons, but it is the Lord, and good is the will of the Lord, who cannot wrong me and has made goodness and mercy follow me all of my days. And if we can call God Father, then everything becomes bearable. And although time and time again we do not understand, always we will be certain that the Father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. And this is what Jesus Christ knew and why he could go on. Or as Thomas Schreiner explains in our text today, for Jesus Christ was not just some robot or mechanical man doing the will of his Father here, but a flesh and blood human man who did not want to experience suffering and pain. And thus he praised to God as his Father, knowing his Father's love and care for him, And he asked his Father God to take the cup of suffering from him so that he would not have to experience the shame and the degradation and the intense suffering of the cross. And yet, although we have a powerful indication of Jesus' humanity or human nature, not his divine nature here, church, mind you, but his human nature in his desire for his Father God to take this cup away from him, Jesus Christ also stands out as one completely committed to his Father's will, as he aligns his will with that of God's. And in the end, he chooses the Father's will over his own, for everything in his human nature wanted to avoid the cross. And yet his human nature's desire did not represent the ultimate good, for it was the will of God that did. Hence the profound and beautiful words from Jesus Christ in verse 36, yet, not what I will, but what you will. And thus let us all just marvel and wonder and be in awe of and amazement of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning, who truly knows what it feels like to be distressed church and troubled church and to be anxious and grieved and distraught and sorrowful, verse 34, even to the point of death, church. And yet, as the one who came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of the one who sent him, John 6, 38, for he, Jesus Christ, then always did that which was pleasing to his father God, John eight twenty-nine. and thus being that it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief, Isaiah fifty-three ten. for he, Jesus Christ, Christ then as one commentator pointed out ultimately humbled himself by becoming obedient to God even to the point of death even death on a cross Philippians 2:8 and that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was faithful church loyal church and perfectly and completely submissive church to the will of God even to the point that he willingly bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness first peter 2:24 therefore cling to the fact this morning church that although jesus christ in the garden of gethsemane was in such agony of spirit that his own sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood as the new living translation puts it in luke 22:44 that he jesus christ ultimately then, did not reject the will of his father, nor run from the will of his father, nor save himself, get out of Dodge, let sinners perish, and refuse the will of his father, but instead he, Jesus Christ, he faithfully submitted to the will of his father, and he drank the cup, endured the cross, and he willingly then gave up his life as a ransom for many. Which brings us to point number two. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verses 37 through 43. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So after Jesus Christ told his inner circle of Peter and James and John back in verse 34, that my soul is very sorrowful even to death, remain here and watch And after going a stone's throw away in order to pray, he, Jesus Christ, then comes back to Peter and to James and to John, and as we see in verse 37, found them sleeping. To which Jesus Christ then says to Peter in verses 37 and 38, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit here, church, as scholar Hans Bayer points out, is likely referring to the spirit of God rather than that of the human spirit, whereas the reference to the weak flesh likely refers to human and self-reliant lack of trust and dependence on God. And thus, Jesus Christ is seemingly exhorting his disciples here to trust in the living God and his Holy Spirit by the means of prayer and watchfulness, even in the midst of the most dire of situations. To which Jesus Christ then again, as we see in verse 39, went away and prayed, saying the same words, referring here to the words that Jesus Christ spoke back in verse 6, 36 those words being, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then again, after praying, Jesus Christ, he comes back to Peter and to James and to John, and again, verse 40, finds them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him or what to say to him. To which Jesus Christ then leaves once again for a third time here, church, to pray, only to then come back to Peter and to James and to John and to once again find them sleeping. Prompting Jesus Christ to say to them in verse 41, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And that just as Jesus Christ had said back in Mark chapter 9, that the Son of Man was going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And then in Mark chapter 10, that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And then again in Mark chapter 14, that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me, that that time, church, has come. And that's all those predictions by Jesus Christ that they are all now about to take place to which Jesus Christ then says to his sleepy disciples in verse 42, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And thus, as we wrap up point number two this morning, church, for I'd like to do so by making sure that you all note at this time, as Ken Tew so astutely pointed out, that Jesus Christ, who covered himself in prayer, all while asking in verse 35 that the hour might pass from him, that he did ultimately accept it, saying in verse 41 that the hour has come, only to then go out, drink the cup of God's wrath, and win the greatest victory ever won. Whereas Jesus' disciples, on the other hand, who slept instead of praying, for they all failed, particularly that of Peter, who fell asleep three times and who went on then to deny Jesus Christ three times. And thus, as Kent Hughes goes on to write, for all of us then should give ourselves to regular daily prayer. For if, if we are not living a life of dependent prayer, then we are sinning. And we cannot then and will not then have the resolution needed to follow Jesus Christ. And thus, as someone who struggles with the spiritual discipline of daily dependent prayer. For let us all then as a church body commit ourselves and devote ourselves and promise ourselves and engage ourselves daily in this act of dependent prayer, whereas we faithfully and consistently and regularly pray for our daily bread, church, and pray for the forgiveness of sins, church, and pray that we forgive others, church, and for the coming of the kingdom of God, church, not being led into temptation, church, being delivered from the evil one, church, and for our God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, church, since the Christian life has got to be. Be a praying life. Therefore, let us all then, brother Christian, sister Christian, be diligent and devoted, dedicated and devout to daily dependent prayer. Also that we can faithfully then follow the will of our God in our very lives, no matter the situation that we may be called to face. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church. For I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first. And to share with you at this time, non-Christian, what exactly Jesus Christ accomplished when he drank that previously mentioned cup of wrath on that cross at Calvary and gave his life up as a ransom for many. However, in order to truly understand that accomplishment of Jesus Christ, you need to first understand this. Jesus Christ, that he came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man, and initially lived for us the life that we could never live, and that this God-man named Jesus Christ, that he lived a life here on earth that was holy and righteous and just and good, and free from any kind of wickedness or transgressions, iniquities, or sins. And thus because of that, he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, all for the very children of God. However, that was not all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because he, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to his Father's will, even to the point of death, for he willingly then took our sins upon himself and laid down his own life as a ransom for many by being nailed to and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place, and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned, and in doing so satisfied the justice of our holy God, and appeased then non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God, all toward his sinful children as well. And thus because of all that, three days later then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, For he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can save you from your sin, as the only one who died for your sin, who paid the price for your sin, and who can reconcile you back to your heavenly God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today. For as we close this morning, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, I'd like to do so in light of verse 36, particularly where Jesus Christ says to his heavenly Father, Not what I will, but what you will. And to encourage you all at this time to follow this perfect example of Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody Church, for he once wrote, that I learned this lesson once from my little girl, who always was asking me for a great big doll, even though she had lots of dolls around the house, dolls without heads, dolls without arms, dolls even without legs. But she really wanted a great big doll. Now, you know that if a man has only one daughter, that he can become rather soft. So one day I had a good streak come over me and I took her to the toy shop to buy her that doll. And as we went in, she saw a basket of little porcelain dolls to which she said, Oh, Papa, isn't that the cutest little doll you ever saw? Won't you buy it for me? Well, now, Emma, Moody said back to his daughter, why don't you just trust me and let me choose for you at this time what kind of doll you should get. Trust me. "'Oh, no, Papa,' she said. "'I just want this little doll.' "'And thus Moody did indeed buy it for her, "'and she took the doll home. "'And after the newness of it had worn off, "'the doll then was left with all the other dolls. "'And Moody said to his daughter one day, "'Do you know what I was going to do that day "'when I took you to the toy shop "'and you selected that little porcelain doll?' "'No, Papa,' she said, "'What?' Well, I was going to buy you one of those great big dolls that you wanted. You were, Emma said. Well, then why didn't you? Because, Moody said, you wouldn't let me. You remember, you only wanted that little doll, and you would have nothing other than that. And Emma, she saw this point and bit her lips and did not say anything more. To which, as Moody concludes, for it is better to let God choose for us than it is to choose for ourselves. And thus let us all learn to say, thy will, not mine, be done. And yet how often, brother Christian, sister Christian, do we want our will to be done in this life instead of the will of our heavenly fathers? Oh, while we selfishly seek ways to make our lives easier and greedily explore ways how to become richer, and vainly pursue ways how to become happier, and even narcissistically chase ways how to become more prominent and popular, when the reality is, brother Christian, sister Christian, our goal in this life should be to faithfully follow the will of our God, no matter the cost even if that means, Christian, hard times instead of happiness, or being hated by the world instead of acceptance, ridiculed by others instead of abundance, picked on by co-workers instead of influence, or being mocked, laughed at, struck down, or destroyed instead of worldly relevance. For as J.C. Ryle put it, when Jesus Christ in his human nature felt the pressure of the world's guilt in the garden of Gethsemane, and yet still prayed, not what I will, but what you will, we can imagine no higher degree of perfection than that which is here set before us. To take patiently whatever God sends, to like nothing but what God likes, to wish nothing but what God approves, to prefer pain if it pleases God to send it, to forego ease if God does not think fit to bestow it, and to lie passive under God's hand and know no will but his. For this is the highest standard at which we can aim, and of this our Lord's conduct in Gethsemane is a perfect pattern. For nothing brings us so much misery on this earth than having our own way. However, a continually increasing disposition to submit our own will to the will of God, for that is a sign that we are really growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And thus, brother Christian, sister Christian, although doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with your God like a 6-8 isn't going to win you any popularity contest anytime soon, and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, Mark 12, and Luke 10 might cause people to despise you and seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew six thirty three, might lead to some people mocking you and presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice to God as your spiritual worship, Romans 12, 1, might even lead to some people hating you, detesting you, making fun of you, and persecuting you, for it will all be worth it. And I say that because whoever does the will of God, according to 1 John 2, 17, and that they love God, believe in his Son, and keep his commandments, for they will, church, abide forever. Therefore, no matter what may come your way on this side of eternity, brother Christian, sister Christian, whether that be hardships or persecution, suffering or plight, opposition or mockery, mistreatment or opposition, distress, or being sorrowful, even to the point of death, for it is always, always, always better to suffer while doing the will of God, Christian, than it is to reject the will of God in order to alleviate that of your own present suffering. And thus let our hearts then, our prayers then, our minds then, and our longings then forevermore be, Christian, to follow the perfect example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who in the midst of agonizing suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane still said to his Father God, not my will, but your will be done, since the will of our God, Christian, is always good, and whoever does his will, as the Apostle John put it, will truly abide forever. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body seek to follow the perfect example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to follow the will of our Heavenly Father, no matter what this world throws our way, as opposed to seeking to alleviate our times of trial and our seasons of pain by rejecting the will of God and then willingly walking in the ways of sin. For let us truly grasp this morning, Lord, that you are a good, good Father, who is sovereign, all-powerful, authoritative, and in control of all, and that because of that, we do not need to fear that any type of distressing situation that may come our way, since we know that not only are you sovereign over it, Lord, but that you actually willed it for our good and for your eternal glory. Therefore, let us trust in you, God, even in the midst of our trials and pain, persecution and plight, all while knowing full well that if we are faithful to do your will, then we will truly abide forever. And thus, let us delight in your will Lord, and let us delight in it, even in the midst of suffering, since you, Father, are good and are always worthy of our complete obedience and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how difficult it is to be willing to give up our will for your will. Lord, we know that we have been called to love kindness and to do justice and to walk humbly with our God. We have been called to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, to seek ye first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, to devote ourselves to spiritual worship to give our bodies as a living sacrifice to you, Father. And yet how often do those things conflict with the will of the world, with the will of our flesh? And oh, how we long for easy street and big paydays, even if that means we have to lie a little bit or deceive a little bit or covet a little bit and to reject the king of the kingdom of God just a little bit. Father, let us know that you are infinitely more proud of us when we do your will in the midst of suffering than when we reject your will in order to alleviate our suffering and walk into sin. Father, let us not value this world. Let us see that this entire world as the Apostle John writes in 1 John 2, 17, that it is all passing away. And it is only those who do the will of the Father, who love God, who trust in his Son, who love his people and who keep his commandments, who will abide forever. Let us be dedicated, Lord, no matter what we may face to doing your will faithfully. For you are good, you are God, and your will. It is perfect. In Jesus' name, amen.